Hello and welcome to the First Person Drunk Podcast. Today we bring you Danny's Own Story by Don Marquis, Chapter 11. And in case any of you were wondering, there are a total of 24 chapters to this book, so we are almost at the halfway point. After it's done, I'm going to try to find you a couple of short stories for the shorter attention spans and then launch into another public domain novel as is my want. Anyway, here we go with Danny's own story, chapter 11. This podcast is, as always, brought to you by me, Miles Tabor, the public domain, and whiskey. Any errors in the text are probably the fault of one of those three. One night, when I've been there more than a week, and am getting kind of tired staying in one place so long, I don't want to go to bed after I eat, and I gets a holt of some of the professor's cigars and goes into the library to see if he's got anything fit to read. Sitting there thinking of the awful, remarkable people they is in this world, I must have went to sleep. Pretty soon, in my sleep, I hear two voices. Then I wake up sudden, and still hear them, low and quick-like in the room that opens right off the library with a couple of them sliding doors like is onto a boxcar. One voice was a woman's voice, and it wasn't Mrs. Stell's. But I must see them before we go, Henry, she says. And the other was a man's voice, and it wasn't no one around our house. But, my God! he says. Suppose you get it yourself, Jane. I sat up straight then, for Jane was the professor's wife's first name. You mean suppose you get it, she says. I like to have seen the look she must have give him to fit in with the way she says that you. He didn't say nothing, the man didn't, and then her voice softens down some, and she says, low and slow, Henry, wouldn't you love me if I did get it? Suppose it mocked and pitted me all up. Oh, of course, he says, of course I would. Nothing can change the way I feel, you know that. He said it quick enough, all right, just the way they does in a show, but it sounded too much like it does on the stage to have suited me if I'd been her. I seen folks overdo them little talks before this. I listened some more, and then I sees how it is. This is that musician fella Biddy Malone's been talking about. Jane's going to run off with him, all right, but she's got to kiss the kids first. Women is like that. They may hate the kids' pa, all right, but these dad-burned few of them don't like the kids. I thinks to myself, it must be late. I bet they was already started, or ready to start, and she made him bring her here first so she could sneak in and see the kids. She just simply couldn't get by. But she's taken a fool risk, too. For how's she gonna see Marjorie with that nurse coming and going and hanging around all night? And even if she tries just to see William, dear, it's a ten-to-one shot he'll wake up and she'll be catched at it. And then I thinks, suppose she is catched at it. What of it? 
Ain't a woman got a right to come into her own house with her own door key, even if they is a quarantine onto it, and see her kids? And if she is catched seeing them, how would anyone know she was gonna run off? And ain't she got a right to have a friend of hern and her husband's bring her over from her mother house, mother's house, even if it is a little late? Then I seen she wasn't taking no great risks, neither. And I thinks, maybe I better go and tell that professor what is going on, for he has treated me pretty white. And then I thinks, I'll be gosh darned if I meddle. So far as I can see that their professor ain't getting fur from what's coming to him nohow. And as for her, you got to let some people find out what they want for themselves. Anyhow, where do I come in at? But I want to get a look at her and Henry anyhow. So I eases off my shoes, careful-like, and I eases across the floor to them sliding doors, and I puts my eye down to the little crack. The talk is going backward and forward between them two, him wanting her to come away quick, and her undecided whether to risk seeing the kids. And all the time, she's kind of hoping maybe she will be catched if she tries to see the kids, and she's begging off for more time generally. Well, sir, I didn't blame that musician fella none when I seen her. She was a peach. And I couldn't blame her so much neither when I thought of Miss Estelle and all them scientifics of the professors strung out for years and years, world without end. Yet, when I seen the man, I sort of wished she wouldn't. I seen right off that Henry wouldn't do. It takes a man with a lot of gumption to keep a woman feeling good and not sorry for doing it when he's married to her. But it takes a man with twice as much to make her feel right when they ain't married. Now this fella wears one of them little brown pointed beards for to hide where his chin ain't and his eyes is too much like a woman's, which is the kind that gets the biggest piece of pie at the lunch counter and forgets to thank the girl as cuts it big. Uh, she was sitting in front of a table, twisting her fingers together, and he was walking up and down. I seen he was mad and trying not to show it, and I seen he was scared of the smallpox and trying not to show that too. And just about that time, something happened that kind of jolted me. They was one of them big chairs in the room where they was that has got a high back and spins around on itself. It was right across from me on the other side of the room, and it was facing the front window, which was a bow window, and that there chair begins to turn, slow and easy. First, I thought she wasn't turning, and then I seen she was, but Jane and Henry didn't. They was all took up with each other in the middle of their room, with their backs to it. Henry is a beggin' of Jane, and she turns a little more, that chair does. Will she squeak, I wonders? Don't you be a fool, Jane, says the Henry feller. Around she comes, three hull inches that there chair, and nary a squeak. 
a fool? asks Jane and laughs. And I'm not a fool to think of going with you at all, then? That chair, she moved six inches more, and I seen the calf of a leg and part of a crumpled up coat tail. But I am going with you, Henry, says Jane, and she gets up just like she is going to put her arms around him. But Jane don't, for that chair swings clear around, and there sets the professor. He's all hunched up and caved in, and he's rubbing his eyes like he's just woke up recent, and he's got a grin onto his face that makes him look like his sister Estelle looks all the time. Excuse me, says the professor. They both swings around and faces him. I can hear my heart bumping. Jane never says a word. The man with the brown beard never says a word, but... If they felt like me, they both felt like laying right down there and having a fit. They looks at him, and he just sits there and grins at them. But after a while, Jane, she says, Well, now you know. What are you going to do about it? Henry, he starts to say something too, but don't start anything, says the professor to him. You aren't going to do anything. Or oh, they was words to that effect. Professor Booth, he says, seeing he has got to say something, or else Jane will think the worse of him. I am... Keep still, says the professor, real quiet. I'll tend to you in a minute or two. You don't count for much. This thing is mostly between me and my wife. When he talks so decided, I thinks maybe that professor has got something into him besides science after all. Jane, she looks kind of surprised herself, but she says nothing except, What are you going to do, Frederick? And she laughs one of them mean kind of laughs and looks at Henry like she wanted him to spunk up a little more and says, What? Can you do, Frederick? Frederick, he says, not excited a bit. There's quite a number of things I could do that would look bad when they got into the newspapers. But it's none of them, unless one of you forces me to it. Then he says, You did want to see the children, Jane? She nodded. Jane, he says, can't you see I'm the better man? Now, the professor, he was woke up after all them years of scientifics, and he didn't want to see her go. Look at him, he says, pointing to the fellow with the brown beard. He's scared stiff right now. Which I would have been scared myself if I'd have been catched that away like Henry was, and the professor's voice sounded like he was chopping ice every time he spoke. I seen the professor didn't want to have no blood on the carpet without he had to have it, but I seen he was making up his mind about something too. Jane, she says, You a better man? You? You think you've been a model husband just because you've never beaten me, don't you? No, says the professor. 
I've been a blamed fool, all right. I've been a worse fool, maybe, than if I had beaten you. Then he turns to Henry, and he says, Duels are out of fashion, aren't they? And a plain killing looks bad in the papers, doesn't it? Well, you just wait for me. With which he gets up and trots out, and I hear him running downstairs to his laboratory. Henry, he'd rather go now. He don't want to wait. But with Jane a-looking at him, he's shamed not to wait. It's his place to make some kind of a strong action now to show Jane he is a great man. But he don't do it. And Jane is too much of a thoroughbred to show him she expects it. And me, I'm getting the fidgets and wondering to myself, what is that there professor up to now? Whatever it is, it ain't like no one else. He is loony, that professor is, and she is kind of loony, too. I wonder if there is anyone that ain't loony sometimes. I've been around the country a good deal, too, and seen and hearns of some awful remarkable things, and I never seen no one that wasn't more or less loony, loony when the search us the femme comes into the case. Which is a Dago word I got out in a newspaper, and it means who was the dead gent's lady friend. And we all set and sweat and got the fidgets waiting for that professor to come back. Which he done with that Sister Estelle grin onto his face and a pill box in his hand. There was two pills in the box. He says, placid and chilly. Yes, sir. Duels are out of fashion. This is the age of science. All the same, the one that gets her has got to fight for her. If she isn't worth fighting for, she isn't worth having. Here are two pills. I made them myself. One has enough poison in it to kill a regiment when it gets to working well, which it does, fifteen minutes after it is taken. The other one has got nothing harmful in it. If you get the poison one, I keep her. If I get it, you can have her. Only I hope you will wait long enough after I'm dead so there won't be any scandal around town. Henry, he never said a word. He opened his mouth, but nothing come of it. When he done that, I thought I hear his tongue scrape again his cheek on the inside like a piece of sandpaper. He was scared, Henry was. But you know which is which, Jane sings out. The thing's not fair. That is the reason my dear Jane is going to shuffle these pills around each other herself, says the professor, and then pick out one for him and one for me. You don't know which is which, Jane, and as he is the favorite, he is going to get the first chance. If he gets the one I want him to get, he will have just fifteen minutes to live after taking it. In that fifteen minutes he will please to walk so far from my house that he won't die near it and make a scandal. 
I won't have a scandal without I have to. Everything is going to be nice and quiet and respectable. The effect of the poison is similar to heart failure. No one can tell the difference on the corpse. There's going to be no blood anywhere. I will be found dead in my house in the morning with heart failure, or else he will be picked up dead in the street, far enough away so as to make no talk. Or oh, they was words to that effect. He is rummin' it in considerable, I thinks that professor is. I wonder if I better jump in and stop the whole thing. Then I thinks, no, it's between them three. Besides, I want to see which one is going to give that there loaded pill. I always been interested in games of chance of all kinds, and when I seen the professor was such a sport, I'm sorry I've been misjudging him all this time. Now, Jane, she looks at the box, and she breathes hard and quick. I won't touch him, she says. I refuse to be a party to any murder of that kind. Oh, you do, says the professor. But the time when you might have refused has gone by. You have made yourself a party to it already. You're really the main party to it. But do as you like, he goes on. I'm giving him more chance than I ought to with those pills. I might shoot him, and I would, and then face the music if it wasn't for mixing the children up in the scandal, Jane. If you want to see him get a fair chance, Jane, you've got to hand out these pills, one to him and then one to me. You must kill one or the other of us, or else I'll kill him the other way. And you had better pick one out for him, because I know which is which. Or else let him pick one out for himself, he says. Henry, he wasn't saying nothing. I thought he had fainted. But he hadn't. I seen him licking his lips. I bet Henry's mouth was all dry inside. Jane, she took the box, and she went round in front of Henry, and she looked at him hard. She looked at him like she was thinking, For God's sake, spunk up some, and take one if it does kill you. Then she says out loud, Henry, if you die, I will die too. And Henry, he took one. His hand shook, but he took it out in the box. If she had have looked like that at me, maybe I would have took one myself. For Jane, she was a peach, she was. But I don't know whether I would have or not. When she makes that brag about dying, I looked at the professor. What she said never fazed him, and I thinks again, maybe I better jump in now and stop this thing. And then I thinks again, no, it is between them three and Providence. Besides, I'm anxious to see who is going to get that pill with the science in it. I gets to feeling just like Providence hisself was in that there room picking out them pills with his own hands, and I was anxious to see what Providence's ideas of right and wrong was like. 
So far as I could see, they was all three in the wrong. But if I had been in there running them pills in Providence's place, I would have let them all off kind of easy. Now, Henry, he ain't eat his pill yet. He is just looking at it and shaking. The professor pulls out his watch and lays it on the table. It is a quarter past eleven, he says. Mr. Murray, are you going to make me shoot you after all? I didn't want a scandal, he says. It's for you to say whether you want to eat that pill and get your even chance or whether you want to get shot. The shooting method is sure, but it causes talk. These pills won't. Which? And he pulls a revolver, which I suppose he had got that too when he went down after them pills. Henry, he looks at the gun. Then he looks at the pill. Then he swallows the pill. The professor puts his gun back into his pocket, and then he puts his pill into his mouth. He don't swallow it. He looks at the watch, and he looks at Henry. Sixteen minutes past eleven, he says. At exactly twenty-nine minutes to twelve, Mr. Murray will be dead. I got the harmless one, I can tell. By the taste. And he put the pieces out onto his hand to show that he has chewed his and up, not being willing to wait fifteen minutes for a verdict from his digestive ornaments. Then he put them pieces back into his mouth and chewed them up and swallowed them down like he was eating cough drops. Henry has got sweat breaking out all over his face, and he tries to make for the door, but he falls down onto a sofa. This is murder, he says, weak-like, and he tries to get up again, but this time he falls to the floor in a dead faint. It's a darn short fifteen minutes, I thinks to myself. That professor must have put more science into Henry's pill than he thought he did for it to have knocked him out this quick. It ain't scarcely three minutes. When Henry falls, the woman staggers and tries to throw herself on top of him. The corners of her mouth was all drawed down and her eyes was turned up. But she don't yell none. She can't. She tries, but she just gurgles in her throat. The professor won't let her fall across Henry. He catches her. Sit up, Jane he says, with that Estelle look onto his face, and let us have a talk. She looks at him, with no more sense in her face than a piece of putty has got. But she can't look away from him. And I'm kind of paralyzed, too. If that fella laying on the floor had only just kicked once, or grunted, or done something, I could have loosened up and yelled, and would have. I just needed to fetch a yell. But Henry ain't more'n dropped down there till I'm feeling just like he'd always been there, and I'd always been staring into that room, and the last word anyone spoke was said hundreds and hundreds of years ago. You're a murderer, 
says Jane in a whisper, looking at the professor in that stare-eyed way. You're a murderer, she says, saying it like she was trying to make herself feel sure he really was one. Murder, says the professor. Did you think I was going to run any chances for a pup like him? He's scared, that's all. He's just fainted through fright. He's a coward. Those pills were both just bread and sugar. He'll be all right in a minute or two. I've just been showing you that the fellow hasn't got nerve enough nor brains enough for a fine woman like you, Jane, he says. Then Jane begins to sob and laugh, both to once, kind of wild-like, her voice clucking like a hen does, and she says, It's worse than it's worse. It's worse for me than if it were a murder. Some farces can be more tragic than any tragedy ever was, she says, or they was words to that effect. And if Henry had of really been dead, she couldn't have took it no harder than she begun to take it now when she saw he was alive, but just wasn't no good. But I seen she was taken on for herself now mourn for Henry. Dr. Kirby always used to say women is made unlike most other animals in many ways. When they is foolish about a man, they can stand to have that man killed a good deal better than to have him showed up ridiculous in front of, right in front of them. They will still be crazy about the man that is dead, even if he was crooked. But they don't never forgive the fellow that makes himself a, that lets himself be made a fool and lets them look foolish too. And when the professor kicks Henry in the ribs, and Henry comes to and sneaks out, Jane, she never even turns her head and looks at him. Jane, says the professor, when she quiets down some, you have a lot of things to forgive me, but do you suppose I have learned enough so that we can make a go of it if we start all over again? But Jane, she never said nothing. Jane, he says, Estelle is going back to New England as soon as Marjorie gets well and she will stay there for good. Jane, she begins to take a little interest then. Did Estelle tell you so? she asks. No, says the professor. Estelle don't know it yet. I'm going to break the news to her in the morning. But Jane still hates him. She's making herself hate him hard. She wouldn't have been a human woman if she had let herself be coaxed up all to once. Pretty soon, she says, I'm tired. And she went out, looking like the professor was a perfect stranger. She was a peach, Jane was. After she left, the professor sat there quite a spell and smoked. And he was looking tired out, too. There wasn't no mistake about me. I was just dead all through my legs. 
This has been the First Person Drunk Podcast, Danny's Own Story by Don Marquis, Chapter 11. It has been, as always, brought to you by, and you can say it with me if you want to, me, Miles Tabor, The Public Domain, and Delicious Whiskey.